Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. This week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast is brought to you by KL Skin Naturals. I've told you guys all about my love for the new whip shampoo and creamy conditioner bars. My long, thick hair feels so soft and clean without the use of plastic waste from regular shampoo and conditioner bottles. You can replace up to two to three bottles of your liquid shampoo with their hand whip shampoo bars. Leah has recently added some new scents that sound super dreamy, like coconut paradise and sweet orange. Yummy! Head on over to klskindeodorant.com and use promo code WILDROSE10 to save 10% off your purchase. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. On this week's episode, you'll meet Anessa Good. Anessa is an agriculture transition specialist at Farm Credit Canada, where she helps people start the transition conversation, giving them the tools and resources to work towards goals that keep their operations viable and sustainable. Anessa recently moved back to the family farm and is currently going through her own succession roller coaster. This experience has given her her own personal insight that she applies to her consulting work. The motto she shares with her clients is succession is the transfer of a business while estate planning is the transfer of assets. Transition is a combination of both and is proactive rather than reactive. I'm very excited for you guys to get to meet Anessa today here on the podcast. I was lucky enough to hear Anessa speak back in February at the Organic Alberta Conference where she gave a great presentation about succession planning, transition planning, what the difference is there. And she gives a whole bunch of great ideas and new ways of thinking about this somewhat awkward topic because if you've had these conversations or have wanted to have these conversations with your family, I can guarantee that we can all say that sometimes they can get awkward, sometimes they can get heated, but Anessa gives some really good advice and different ways of thinking about it from both sides of the table. So I'm excited for you guys to get to hear this interview today. And today's interview is a little different because I actually posed the question over in the Rural Woman Podcast Facebook group before I did this interview of, if you could ask a transition specialist anything, what would it be? And you guys, I don't think I've ever gotten as many responses and so much passion behind a question that I have posed in that group. So thank you ladies for coming up with the great questions that I'm asking today. But before we get to today's episode, we're going to go over our review of the week. This week's review comes from Ayers 2019 via Apple Podcasts in Canada. This five-star rating and review is titled, My Course in Farming 101. I started following Caitlin way back when she was at Farm Wifey blog. I was a town kid with no farm experience and found myself head over heels with a farmer Googling, what the heck am I doing? I came across her Instagram and fast forward to marriage and purchasing a farm of our own. I don't think I would feel as confident coming into this lifestyle, not having grown up in it, if it had not been for Caitlin sharing her story and eventually reaching out and sharing the stories of other incredible women in agriculture that have been featured here on this podcast. So thank you, Caitlin and guests, for sharing the real 
and the challenges and the incredible moments that this life can bring. From a brand new farm wife and hopefully soon to be farm mama and farm her, the community that the Rural Woman Podcast has brought to my life deserves at least 10 stars. Well, thank you so much for your very kind rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. And if you guys have been enjoying the show, I really encourage you to head on over wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a rating and review and you can hear your kind words on an upcoming episode. But without further ado, let's get to Anessa's interview. Good morning, Anessa. How are you? Good. Thanks. How are you? I am doing so good. Thank you so much for joining me on the Rural Woman Podcast today. I am excited to get to talk to you again, and I say again because I have had the privilege of seeing you speak at the Alberta conference and then running into you at the FCC conference that I was at earlier this year, too. Yeah, no, it's been a busy season for sure. Yes, you have been everywhere. You were even in my hometown, and I didn't get to see you, which was sad and unfortunate, but, you know, you're just a busy lady. That's okay. (laughs) Yeah, it's good. For my listeners who are unfamiliar with you, give us a little bit of information about who you are and where you're from. Yeah, for sure. So uh, my name is Anessa. I was born and raised on a mixed farm near Cremona, Alberta, just north of Cochrane. And my family raised purebred Semitol cattle and Timothy alfalfa hay to Japan. So we are definitely hay country, close to the foothills. And my dad, alongside my grandpa, were one of the first importers of Semitol cattle into Canada in the 60s, so definitely near and dear to my heart there. I have since moved back home to the family farm a couple of years ago, and all of a sudden there's a couple of Angus running in our field, so that's been an adjustment for our family, but it's a good time for sure. That's wonderful. So you left the farm for a short time. Tell us what you were doing while you were off the farm. So left uh, to pursue my degree which supply chain management in Calgary. I went to Mount Royal University, which was really nice for me coming from such a small rural area. I was really looking for a school that had that small class size, so it wasn't too overwhelming. And then when I was doing my co-op programs during university, they were offering a lot of roles downtown. And I thought, well, I'm the farm kid. I'm going to hate working downtown. I'll do it for one summer, scratch it off my list, and go from there. And surprisingly to everyone, I loved it. So I did work downtown in Calgary, oil and gas for a couple of years. And then obviously the economy took a downturn, but I did continue to take other roles, but knew I was looking to return to ag. Wasn't sure exactly what that would look like, but just became more and more passionate to find out how I could go back to my roots and what my heart was invested in. So, so Going back to your roots, was it always a dream to be back home on the home farm or was there something else in agriculture that you thought maybe you'd like to do instead? I'm still figuring that one out for sure. So I think definitely I knew I needed to come back to egg. It's just, you know, we're such a culture of people that are so wonderful to work with and be around. And coming back to the farm has just been such a sense of peace for me. I'm looking out the window right now at our beautiful mountain view and, you know, seeing the horses out in the fields, and you just can't beat that. So I like where I live. It's a pretty cool time for our little community. We've got four or five women in their late 20s that have all kind of started coming back to either have a rural lifestyle or take over their operation. So, yeah, the rural women in Cremona are taking names right now. It's pretty exciting. 
That's awesome. Go Cremona. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us how you started down the path of where you are now and your career in succession planning. So I definitely had born and raised in it as well, for sure. So my dad, Merle Good, he worked for the Alberta government as the provincial agriculture tax specialist for his career in succession planning. So every night, you know, when we'd have supper together, when he wasn't doing his full-time other two jobs of purebred cattle and exporting hay, (laughs) when we did get to have supper together at the table, he would talk about the families he'd met and what they worked through. And I just always remember thinking what a cool job that you get to help people, you get to meet people from all over, and really my passion preserving the legacy of the family farm and agriculture. And so, you know, kind of stereotypical, that's what my dad did, so that wasn't necessarily what I was going to do. It almost seemed too easy, right, to step into that. So went and found myself for a couple of years and then kind of went, uh-oh, this is actually what I really want to do. So was very blessed that my parents let me come back to the family farm, so I'm in the succession roller coaster myself, living, breathing it with our transition plan, and then uh, got to work with dad, meeting with families, so it was great. That's awesome. I know mm-hmm. succession planning can be such a hot button topic for a lot of people, and myself included, I am in the roller coaster of what will be succession planning eventually for our own farm. So. What I wanted to do, and this is a conversation that I've had with multiple women over the last couple years, and I'm super excited to have you on the show because this is a lot of times what people are talking about when it comes to succession planning and transition planning and all of the things. So I actually have quite the easy job today. I didn't come up with the questions that I'm going to ask you. What I did was I headed on over to the Rural Woman Podcast Community Group on Facebook where there are over 400 women in this community with one another. And I posted the question and I simply said to them, I said, ladies, I'm interviewing a succession planning specialist tomorrow morning for an upcoming episode on the podcast. Would you happen to have any questions that you would like answered? And Anessa, I kid you not, I have never gotten so much response to a question that I have posed <laughs> to this group. So it is obviously something that is on the minds of a lot of people in agriculture, and a lot of people have a lot of questions about it. So what I'm going Perfect. to do is I am just going to pull some of the questions that I received, because if I asked you all of them, we would be here all day. So <laughs> <laughs> first of all, my first question to you is, where on earth do you even start with succession planning? What are some of the simple ways that you start and kind of dip your toe into this? Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely one of those where, you know, it just feels like it's a mountain and how to even start. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about it is just a little bit of background, I guess. One of the things I think that's missing in succession planning, which is why I became so passionate about joining my dad's company was I would go into all these seminars and conferences and everyone looked like my dad. They had, sorry, dad, grain, white hair, right? And they were talking to the senior generation. And I was sitting in the crowd thinking, hold it. The decisions that those senior generations make impact my future, my family, all of these things. So my goal today is we're going to talk a lot about that junior generation's perspective and providing a voice for them at the table. That's what I'm really passionate about. So in saying that, when it comes to how do we even start, where do we start, I now work for Farm Credit Canada, FCC, 
And I'm really excited that they're rolling out this new program where they have put advisors, transition advisors across the country to start the conversation because that's the hardest part. So I'm not an accountant. I'm not a lawyer. And our job is just to bring the family together to the table and start the conversation because it's pretty easy to bring up to a mother-in-law, a father-in-law, for example. The other reason I'm very passionate about succession planning is because I lived it and breathed it. I think you're a succession advisor if you either went through some traumatic experiences and wanted that from happening to other people, or you had a really good experience and want to show people how it can be done. I haven't met an advisor that's (laughs) kind of in the middle, and I'm definitely on the spectrum where my family has went through a lot of pain and suffering over it. So sometimes having that neutral third party to start the conversation, looking up neutral resources. It's obviously not able to meet a person face-to-face saying, hey, I went online, I found this resource, this isn't my question, it's the internet's question, right? Even though it's the question you want to ask. So definitely trying to rely on neutral third-party resources as much as we can, I think is a good way to initially start. It's going to get more personal, it's going to get more individualized as it progresses, but just to bring it up. I think. Yeah, for sure. So the next question here is a two-parter. I will ask you the first part first. So what is the difference between succession planning and transition planning? Yeah, for sure. And you'll notice I stutter over the two all the time as well. So I can't tell you the actual definition, but I can tell you my definition that I've came up with just so I can keep it straight in my head. So The quick answer for sure, succession's been around for a long time. It's not new. It's not sexy. And I think transition's kind of this next phase. But the way I define it is succession is the transfer of the business. And this is really important for today's call. I want us to get across a couple things. So before I answer that question, Caitlin, I'm actually going to backtrack. And if you're listening, I want you guys to envision some circles. So if I had you in my board, we'd be using a whiteboard and we'd be drawing circles. The first circle I want you to draw, it's succession planning. It's the operating business. That's the blood, sweat, and tears of the farm business. Whether it be cattle, inventory, equipment, the debt, the active farm participants. Then I want you to draw a really big line. And on the other side of that line, draw a second circle, and that's land. So even if your land's corporately owned in an operating company, for example, doesn't matter. Think of all your land in that bubble because land is a personal wealth asset. And I know Caitlin will talk about that later. Land's one of the elephants in the room with the value. And then the third last bubble that's at the same side as land is off-farm assets. So that's all of your insurance, your RSP, your investments. So on the one side of the diagram, we've got the farming business. And then on the second side of the diagram, we've got our estate planning. Why I focus on that so much is because we have a family-ran business. We're mixing up those lines of income and wealth all the time. And so when I focus on the career, the farm kids that have come home, the parents that are involved, we're talking about succession planning. How do we transfer a financially viable business to the next generation, carry on the family farm? When I talk about The other side of the diagram, that's estate planning. So that's transfer of assets, wills, inheritance to our off-farm kids. And I sum it up as transition is a combination of both. 
and is proactive rather than reactive. So our objective is do not cross the line in regards to income opportunities versus wealth. And we'll get into that a little bit more, but I spend a lot of time just slowing down what is the active farm business and what's the seed planning. Because if you're the farm kid, that business is your career, right? Right, absolutely. I was drawing the diagram while you were saying this, and it makes a lot of sense when you put it this way. And I like what you said about this whole thing and just slowing down, because I know people Mm -hmm. can get really worked up about these topics, but I think it's, like you said, to slow down and break it down piece by piece like you've just done in order Mm -hmm. to keep everyone's temper and emotions at bay. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Big part of that conversation, which again, I'll be a broken record in today's podcast saying, you know, take everything with a grain of salt. It doesn't necessarily apply to your situation. Like of the, I don't even know how many families I've sat with at their kitchen table so far. None of them have been copycats. Like everyone's got variables that change. So, you know, take everything definitely with a grain of salt, but a big one that we slow down on that diagram too is off-farm children having a very intense conversation that they're not on the operating side of the bubble, right? Right. That's a farm kid. And that I see a lot when families talk about, well, should I bring my off-farm kids in as non-voting shareholders, things like that? And that gives me a lot of anxiety. And so I spend a lot of time slowing that down. And that's why the big kahuna land is on the other side of the diagram because we don't need to own every acre to run our business. A lot of farms rent today. Obviously, we have to make sure it's financially viable, but we can figure out different ways than having them be in the farm company. For sure. So the second part of this question is specifically how to preserve the older generation's identity, integrity, and financial stability as contributing members if they would like to be while allowing the younger generation to take on a larger role. I really appreciate this question because it normally comes from the other side, right? Like a lot of times I feel the pressure of the younger generation saying like, I need more, I need more, I need more, right? And we kind of forget about that senior generation. So I really like the lens that that question is coming through. And I think that's one of the most important parts that when I am talking to the junior generation, we have to remember your parents, have a financially viable business to pass on to you because they know what they're doing, right? They have, and there's just so much tacit knowledge. So a big part of my role is really trying to figure out how to get that knowledge that we didn't learn from school and we didn't learn from, you know, technology and everything else, even though that's given us great advancement. So something that I work on with my families is even if we are transitioning the senior generation out, at the end of the year, I really like a meeting what went right and what went wrong. Everyone brings a point form notes, so they got to be prepared. And what I like about it is it shows mom and dad or grandma and grandpa, whatever sandwich generation we're dealing with there, they make mistakes, they're human. But second of all, it's a great opportunity for us to discuss that tacit knowledge. I sat with a customer recently and it just blew my mind that the dad had went out, you know, and was putting his hands in the soil, getting dirty, like, feeling the soil temperature while the kid was out there with the probe and couldn't get it to work and stuff. And so just slowing stuff down that I really like those sheets of paper then kept in a binder. And that's our reference for generations to come, right? Like, hey, we had a, I don't want to 
jinx anything. <laughs> we had a flood in 2020, right? This is how we dealt with it. We couldn't get in the field fast enough. Here's what grandpa did. That's going to be pretty powerful to look back on and feel valued and respected. Absolutely. I think having that knowledge, like you said, from the past generations moving forward, it's such a huge asset to any creation. A hundred percent. Yeah. So just trying to get that precious, precious knowledge down into the written word, right? Yeah. If you've been listening to the Real Woman podcast, then you've heard me talk all about my favorite natural deodorant from KL Skin Naturals. But did you know that they're more than just a deodorant company? My friend Leah has amazing foot butters, yummy lip balms, dreamy skin creams, and has recently introduced brand new handmade soaps into the mix. Clean and simple, these handmade bars of soap lather richly and leave skin feeling super soft. Pure kaolin clay and activated charcoal gently cleanse away toxins. And the rustic hand-cut bars are long-lasting and smell amazing. So head on over to klskindeodorant.com and use promo code WILDROSE10 to save 10% off your next order. So the next question I have for you, it says, as a new spouse coming onto a farm, they would like a basic overview of what questions they should or shouldn't ask and potential red flags to be aware of. Oh, that's a loaded question, <laughs> for sure. I definitely, again, like it just amazes me and shocks me every time when I sit down with families, how different families handle this and react to this. So what I mean by that is, you know, I've got some families where they've been dating six months and that new person's involved in the conversations and that's honestly giving me a little bit of stress, Right. And then I sit down with families and they've been married for 30 years and still no conversation of them being an active member in that operation. So coming in as a new member, it's very hard for me to be able to confidently say one way or the other. Nobody knows your family dynamics like the child of those parents, right? For sure. They are going to be stuck in the middle, the spouse. That's always sometimes a feeling of, do I choose mom and dad or do I choose my spouse? Like, where does my loyalty go? So my goal is obviously trying to come up with those gaps and barriers. And, you know, we're, I always relate us back to animals. We're fight or flight. So if we're having intense anxiety, what's our fears? What's our concerns? So if the daughter-in-law, I think from your example, is saying, you know, I'm not sure how to balance that try to counteract what are some of those potential fears we talk about that a lot a lot with land transfers divorce is the big one you know going through and trying to ease some of those concerns prenups are becoming a lot more of a conversation in my meetings and things like that because again we have to remember the root cause the root cause isn't because in 2020 all of a sudden don't trust daughter-in-laws even though the divorce rate is what it is the root cause is land values right? Like in the 80s, you picked the farm kid that maybe you didn't like as much and left them the farm and hope to God he made it, right? When now you're hurting so much land wealth. So we just have to remember to try and not take things as personally. That's what I work on and try to get to what's the actual fears and concerns. Absolutely. Again, slowing down and breaking it apart a piece by piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which I want to like keep diving into, but I know we got to keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so my next set of questions kind of go together. So I'll ask this one first. It says, my husband and I are fourth generation to live on our farm. What are some ideas and plans 
to keep the land in the family when the kids are not interested in farming. So this is what's really interesting now being part of a national team with Farm Credit Canada. So they have rolled us out across the They're province by province. We're getting new people every day. And so the fun part of that is getting to talk about the differences we see. And again, in my territory, which is southern Alberta, so Red Deer down to the border, I am seeing a lot. And so what I term it as now is a resource manager, because eventually that child is going to be managing that resource, right? When I talk to some of my colleagues across the country, they're seeing that if there's not active, it's then a land sale. So anyway, that's just a little tidbit that I think is interesting for southern Alberta, is we're holding on to that land. So if they're a land resource, to me that's pretty, a resource manager, that's pretty exciting as a child because one way I break it down is the issue with that when I have these families is where's mom and dad's retirement income coming from, right? Uh, if they don't have an active farm business, like, you know, the farm child bought out slowly over time, things like that. Do they need to sell a piece of land to be able to purchase a house in town, eventually lodge payments, all these things. So sometimes we have to look at it as, as a child, if I'm getting a million dollar piece of land, for example, do I have to contribute anything to mom and dad's retirement? And so we just slow this down and it's a two-way street. I'll have this conversation. Why does 100% of the retirement have to come from the farm kid if there is one too? But it's just saying, okay, sometimes we can treat it like a TFSA investment is how I get it across to my family. So for example, uh, $6,000 limit a year for a TFSA with my spouse, that's $12,000 a year. So if I contribute $12,000 a year to mom and dad's the retirement income for my land inheritance, that turns out when I do all the math, and I won't walk you guys down it, but if you want it sometime, I can definitely do it because then you take in land inflation and everything else. I did it with a customer the other day, and it was a 500% return on your investment. I don't know what TFSA right now that's giving me a 500% return on investment, <laughs> right? No. So it's, yeah, it's just slowing things down and recognizing that in farming, whether or not you have a generation coming home, we're asset-rich, cash-poor. So if the family says, hey, our goal is to leave our children land or our goal is to, as a family, preserve land, then maybe we have to step up and help mom and dad with some of that retirement income, right? Yeah. And again, the big question there, which again, just slowing things down, have you asked your children what their goal and objective is? Because I sit with families all the time and they say, okay, we want to leave our kids land. And the thing we always seem to forget is I have four kids and four quarters, even if none of them are farming, those quarters are all worth different values, right? Uh, you've got one that's got some swamp on it. You've got one that's irrigated. Like the differences are huge. And so it's really coming down to a term I call as transformational wealth. So that's if you're farming or not, doesn't matter for the next generation. And it's saying, okay, if I take $50,000, for example, $100,000, and drop it in a city person or an off-farm child's bank account, that transforms their lives, right? Pays off the mortgage, goes towards their children's education funds. If I put $100,000 in a farmer's bank account, what does he say? Woohoo, right? Like one-sixth of a combine right now. So again, going back to that 
example, when I had you guys think of the circles, individuals require income, businesses require wealth. So that's why land is on the wealth side of the diagram and is what that business requires. But yeah, just slowing down, like maybe the family decides to sell a quarter and child one wants that transformational wealth today, right? And doesn't necessarily want a quarter. For sure. The other question that was related to this is, so in the circumstance that there is currently no one lined up to step in, what do you do with succession planning then? Is that when you just sell the land or is there other options? Yeah, so that's where we get creative. And again, broken record, it depends on the parent's objectives and what they want for their children. So like I said, I'm seeing a trend where they're leaving that land to the next generation so that they can be resource managers, right? And then I definitely am seeing, I just did a bunch of work, it's becoming more of a thing, is this land matching to young programs that are popping up everywhere. You know, that feeling that there's a lot of individuals that aren't from farms or are looking to get into farming and all of that. So trying to come up with like a, I think they call it a succession planning dating site kind of thing with landowners. So there's always opportunities like that to look at because I do, I've got some senior generations that say, I want to see this operation continue. So dairy is going to hired men, things like that. It really comes down to as parents, what is your objective as a marriage and objective for your children. For sure. Hey guys, I told you, I warned you that Anessa has so much information about transition planning and all of the good stuff. So much so that this interview went a little longer than our typical interviews go. So I have decided to make it a two-part series so your mind can process some of the goodness that you have received today. I don't intentionally make the pun of saying good and goodness, but Anessa Good just makes it so easy. (laughs) So make sure you guys stay tuned for next week's episode for part two of Anessa's interview. And until then, my friends, have a great week and we will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can stay connected with me on Instagram at wildrosefarmer. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Plus, share it with a friend. We'll see you next time.